0: My intention today was to give a sermon I had titled The Support Team of, G- of Martin Luther. And I was going to talk about a number of people that meant a lot to Martin Luther, basically making the case that Martin Luther would not be the man he was without a number of people around him playing their part. But as I studied the people around him, I have become totally captivated by this woman that's on the right, which was his wife, Katerina von Bora. And so I want to take today, instead of talking about a number of his friends, to tell you this story of Martin Luther. First of all, I've got to give you a little more of Martin Luther's history that I didn't give you a couple weeks ago. 1517, this whole thing gets started. Martin Luther nailed 95 theses, 95 arguments against the Catholic Church to be debated uh, in the school at Wittenberg in the town where he lived. But they are translated into German and printed and spread out all over Germany. And it's sort of this spark that that ignites this huge movement. Pretty soon, because of the things he's saying about the church and the Pope, he's excommunicated. And I need to explain to you what this means. In that day, the belief was that the church had the keys to the kingdom. Which means Martin Luther is not just kicked out of the church. He's kicked out of heaven. Okay? You have to understand that. It's a damnation. It's not just an excommunication. If the church is the one that can grant salvation and you're kicked out of the church, you are forever unable to have salvation. Okay? Martin Luther also, at that time, is uh, considered criminal. He can be tried as a heretic and burned at the stake. Also, he is no longer under the protection of the Roman Empire. This is hugely important for the rest of his life. Because that means anywhere in the empire, someone can kill him. And they would never be tried for murder because of it. They were free to kill him. He was unprotected by the government of his day. A couple years later, he is brought to give an account for his works and given a chance to recant. In other words, say, I don't agree with the stuff that I already wrote. This is important for the Catholic Church Because they had already excommunicated him, and yet still his movement grows, and yet still he is writing. And so they really need him not just to be excommunicated, but to recant what he says. So he goes to the city of Worms, uh, to a gathering that was called a Diet. Again, one of my favorite names for a meeting ever, ever, the Diet of Worms, right? But it was really the Diet, the gathering at Worms, the city in Germany. On the way in, it is said that the Spanish guard that was guarding the event said, to the flames, to the flames. The expectation was he was going to be there tried as a heretic. And yet, uh, he does manage to say, and he boldly says, I can do no other. I have to follow my conscience. I have to follow God's word. Now, this became interesting. On the way out of Verne's, He assumes he's going to be killed and captured, and he is captured. And it's very scary in the middle of the night for him to be traveling. He's captured. They're overtaken by a number of men, but actually, they're overtaken by a number of his friends a group that was sent by a number of his friends. And he's taken and for over a year hidden away in a castle. Many think he's dead. And he spends his time translating the New Testament into German. But his movement continues and eventually he's able to come back and start to lead this movement again. He's frustrated during this time, but um, still writing and still thinking and still wondering about things. Remember at this time, there are no denominations. So he doesn't think, oh, I'll just start my own denomination. That's what everybody does today. That is not what happened in those days. There was either the true church or the false church. And Luther began to unassume, since the church of the day was not believing the gospel, they must be the false church. And we must need a new church to rise in its stead. That was never his intention, but that's what he was forced to do and that's what he did. So he starts to study scripture and rethink a number of things. Luther had taken a vow of celibacy as a monk. That was considered the highest value, to not be married. But, but when he read the scriptures, he started to find that actually the Bible talked a lot about marriage. And marriage was spoken of highly. Even Peter, considered the first pope, had a mother-in-law. And if he had a mother-in-law, what did he have? A wife. The first pope was married in the Bible. Luther looks around and says marriage is a good thing in the scriptures. Furthermore, he looked around at the practices of his today and he said, This is very hypocritical. There were a number, when he went to visit Rome early on in his faith, um, he saw priests going into a house of ill repute with some young ladies. Okay? And then he would go to monasteries and there would be all these celibate monks, and then there would be all these celibate nuns, and the nuns would be raising children. And people would wonder, how did we get children with all this celibacy around here? Right? There were questions. It wasn't really being practiced well anyway. The Bible seemed to have a high view of marriage. And yet, priests were not allowed to marry. And so Luther decided, that, and a number of people decided, that they should marry. Though he never intended to get married himself. First of all, he always assumed he would be killed at some point. He lived his life and had written many times that he would travel someday and his enemies would get him. And so he also, though, knew his family would be in danger if he ever had one. So he said he would never marry. He was not prepared for Katharina von Bora. Born in 1499 to a noble family, at the age of five years old, her mother dies. So think about this, it's Eden's age. five years old, her mother's died. Her dad remarries, but there's no school in her community. So she's forced to go about 30 miles away to a nun's school where she lives and stays. And at five years old, she leaves home and never lives at home again. Five years old. She goes and uh, goes to then another nunnery where actually her aunt was a nun. In those days... If you didn't have a family that was very wealthy, she was from a noble family, but not one that had wealth. And so, number one, she didn't have a dowry. She didn't have money that could be given to a groom to marry her. And so it was very unlikely that she could get married. And she could then possibly stay in the home and take care of family. But if there's no money, she can't do that either. And so she decided to become a nun and stayed with the nuns. Now she was in an order that was very working, so they raised their own crops, they had some businesses that they worked at, and it was also an order that studied. And so she learned Latin, very rare for women, but this order did that. She learned Latin, she could read, she wanted to be a teacher, and she was very, very smart. At some point, some of the nuns got a hold of some of Martin Luther's work. We don't know how. It would have been contraband. They weren't allowed to read this stuff. But somehow, they got a hold of Martin Luther. It's worked, And suddenly, these nuns decided that they did not want to be nuns. They wanted to follow this reformation. They planned to, to escape. And if a nun left the, the, the order, they could be beaten or even killed. And in fact, though she never describes it in detail, there was, one, there was a, an initial plot to escape that uh, was found out. And probably the nuns that were involved were beaten. And yet, they were so convinced that they needed to follow this, what Martin Luther was up to that they wrote Martin Luther a letter. Her aunt wrote Martin Luther a letter. And Martin Luther arranged for these nuns to escape. A man named Leonard Kopp in 1523 on the eve of Easter, night before Easter, goes and at a certain signal, the nuns sneak out and get into the back of his wagon. He used to deliver both there and uh, to the community fish. And so there were these barrels, space for barrels in his wagon. And so some of the legend says they hid in the barrels. That doesn't seem likely. They probably hid among the barrels And escaped and got out. And then celebrated Easter for their first time sort of free of what they thought was the untrue church. They made their way to Wittenberg so that they could meet with Martin Luther. Now remember, these women have nothing. They have nothing. They've taken vows of poverty. They've got nothing with them. People have to give them a change of clothes. Okay? Okay. At first, Martin Luther feels responsible for them, and he tries to get their families to take them back. But that would have been a, a national offense in the empire to, to house a former nun, somebody that has, had escaped. And so none of their families would take them back. So Luther started trying to get them either married, a lot of times to priests who are now allowed to marry in this new German church, or working in homes as a housekeeper or a nanny. Luther is successful with all the women, and, and by different accounts, there were a number of women that did this. Um, but out of this group, maybe 11 or 12 women that escaped, except for one feisty lady, Katharina von Bora. She goes to work in a house, and she, fall, she falls madly in love with a young man in the town, and they plan to marry. But he sends a letter to his parents explaining that his desire to marry, and his parents tell him that he is not allowed to marry a former nun and ruin the reputation of the family. And so he breaks off the engagement and a year later marries someone else. Katharina later moves into the home of Lucas Cranach. Cranach is a very important character. He's the artist that does a lot of the painting at the times. He paints these two pictures of Luther and Katharina. And he also uh, does a lot of the woodcuts and does the printing press a little later on in Martin Luther's ministry. Very good friend of Martin Luther. Katharina works in his home. They continue to try to find suitors. Luther keeps bringing in pastors to, to meet Katharina, but none of them seem to work. She finally says to Luther's friend, Nicholas von Amsdorf that she was willing to marry only Luther or von Amsdorf himself. Now, there were A number of people who thought Luther shouldn't do this. Because if Luther did this, there would be this whole huge smearing campaign against Luther. Look how bad he was. This great leader of the Reformation that has to marry and has to live this new lifestyle, right? Not good enough for this celibate life. Philip Melanchthon, who was his right-hand man in the Reformation, was very against this. And when they did decide to marry, Henry VIII, because of course he's so moral, <laughs> writes a letter to Luther saying it was a bad idea for him to be married. But Luther decided that he would marry Katharina because he said his marriage would please his father, rile the Pope, cause the angels to laugh, and the devils to weep. Right? It's a spite thing. Luther wanted to give her some security, but also make a statement about his movement. But what do you notice that he says nothing about? Love. That's right. Katharina and Luther do not love each other. They don't love each other. They respect each other. By this point, they've known each other for over two years. But they do not love each other. If someone came to me and made this kind of statement in premarital counseling, I would have suggested to them that maybe they shouldn't get married or wait a little bit longer, right? But they did get married. And actually, what blossomed over time was a great love and affection. So Martin Luther married Katharina von Bora, on June 13th, 1525. Imagine this odd couple, Von Bora, 26 years old, Luther, 41 years old. Both had lived what kind of life? A monastic life, a celibate life, taking lifelong vows of celibacy and poverty. Luther once remarked that it was difficult for him to get used to pigtails in the bed next to him. Okay? He'd never had anybody in the bed next to him, let alone pigtails, a brand new for him. They were also both tough thinking people that lived in danger and lived in the craziness of this reformation and this rapidly changing world. Yet this unlikely marriage, born more of duty and respect than love, would develop into a tender and special loving relationship. As a gift, the community gave to the Luthers what was called the black Cloister. That is named after the outfits that the Augustinian monks would wear. It was the dormitory for the Augustinians where Luther had lived his entire time as a monk there in Wittenberg. Okay? It, was this, it was the dorms. And so they basically set it up as a hostel place for the people to come and stay that wanted to study with Luther. Now, Luther was a tough writer, theologian, and church leader, but he was not very good with money. He was generous to a a fault. He could be brash and cruel to his enemies. He also never collected any money for all the books that he published. He never wanted people to accuse him of making money off of his reformation. So he did not have a lot of money, but he was a monk that was committed to poverty. And now he's married and having a family. So they, as, as bad as maybe Luther was at money, and as strong as he was as a writer, Katharina was every bit as tough at running the family business. She would, up, she would do the upkeep, and they would run this hotel, this family inn that would, people would gather. They would have boarders from all over the country. In addition, they had a farm where they raised pigs and cattle. They had a garden where they would grow their own food. By they, I mean Katharina. <laughs> they had a fish pond and even a brewery. Because if you're going to have a hotel and you're going to get a bunch of Germans together to discuss theology, you need a significant amount of beer to make that run smoothly. So she ran the brewery that was at the Black Cloister. It was even turned to a hospital during a few plagues and sicknesses. Um, Katharina von Bora was known for his, her ability to heal with herbs and be a very good nurse. This is sometimes called the first Protestant parsonage. She was smart and was known to engage in a the deep theological conversation with these great minds, even known to back down Luther a couple times, uh, something that very few could claim. Now, they had a a great way of talking about one another. Katharina always called him heir doctor or sir doctor, the whole marriage. And I think at first, I think at first it was out of uh, uh, respect. And as it went on, maybe it was as a joke. You know what I mean? I've heard a statement that says, behind every great man, there's a woman laughing, right? And I think that's Katharina von Bora laughing in the background at the success of this man she knows far too well. Luther had very many playful names for his Katharina. He always addressed her in letters. We have a number of his letters to her as my dear Katie. He also called her Lord Katie and Mrs. Dr. Luther. He called her his preacher and his doctor. She was also his editor and helped him tone down some of his language. I say some. Primarily, he was known in his early writings for calling people, I'm sorry, asses. And later, she seemed to tone him down where he said asses a lot less. Um, He also called her the boss of Zulsdorf. That was the name of the farm that they owned. And he called her the morning star of Wittenberg because she often had to get up at 4 or 5 a.m. to get through all of her responsibilities uh, to take care of the things that she did. And he also called her the lady at the new pig market. Because they owned pigs and sold pigs in the community, so he had a lot of playful names to kind of describe her. Luther was a man of the Middle Ages, and I think in a lot of his writings, saw men as the, the head of the household. Um, but I'm not sure he said that when he was within arms' rank of Katharina, right? If, he could, if she could hit him, I don't think he spoke that way near the same way. She had six children. In addition, they raised four orphan children, one of which was her nephew. They speak in some of their letters and some of Luther's writings of losing their daughter Elizabeth when she was eight months old, which is a travesty to us, but was very common in those days. Their daughter Magdalena died at 13 years old, probably of something related to the plague when they were taking care of people in the hostel in the Black Cloister Luther writes of her faith that he, she said to him, Daddy, why are you crying? I'm going to see Jesus. And Luther recalls him having to turn away as he wept for the loss of his daughter. Katharina also had a miscarriage in 1539, after which she got very sick and nearly died. Katharina worried greatly as Luther traveled. He was never a man in good health. Through all the stress, the mourning, the challenges, both in home and in the Reformation, this unlikely couple cared for one another and loved each other. Their love letters, a number of which still exist, especially Luther's, testify to a playful yet tender love. The brash Luther learns patience and learns sacrifice from another he learns both the challenges and strengths of marriage. And he would later write about how if you think monastic life is tough, try being married. I think most importantly, Luther learned from Katharina to not just follow Christ and worship Christ in big things like worship or theological debate or building a huge church and national movement. But Luther learned from Katharina to serve Christ in the small everyday things. Katharina was devastated when, on, uh, by Luther's death in 1546. Sadly, he dies away from home on a journey she did not want him to go on. She then has to raise several children without Luther's salary as a pastor and a professor. And without Luther around, there is not near as much interest in staying at the hotel that they have. And so really for the rest of her life, she lives in poverty this is complicated by several wars and plagues that face, force her to leave Wittenberg for safety. And a couple times, the black cloister is really damaged by war. Our farm animals and crops are destroyed. Many of her animals are stolen in these different times when she must leave. And so it becomes very difficult for her to survive, except by the generosity of a number of Luther's friends who care for her and for the children uh, after he's gone. In 1552, her surviving children, now adults, she's forced once again to leave because of the Black Plague in Wittenberg. She goes to the city of Torgau. When she gets there, she's in an accident. She's thrown from her wagon and for three months is in and out of consciousness until she finally dies. She is reported to have said on her deathbed, after all she's gone through in her life, I will stick to Christ as a burr to cloth. I will stick to Christ as a burr to cloth. I've been really moved by this story and I've really been challenged by two scriptures as I thought about it. First, Mark Mark 10, verses 6 through 9. This is Jesus. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. The other from the book that meant so much to Luther, Romans 12. Talking not about marriage, but about Christian community. Paul says, for by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith, God is assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so though many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having, differ, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. And as I studied the story of Martin Luther and Katharina von Bora, I see them as a great example of this idea of one flesh in marriage. They seem to round each other out like parts of a body that would mean not as much apart, but sort of complete each other. May we have those kinds of marriages in our lives. May we have that kind of Christian community and support in our, our lives. For we all need to care and to be cared for in that way. I pray that we may have these kinds of playful and tender marriages and friendships in our lives. Amen.